Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Rabin. I'm licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. And I'm licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. Justin has abandoned us yet again, two weeks in a row. He doesn't care about living out his best life. But today we are talking all about dialectical behavior therapy, otherwise known as DBT. So settle in, take a seat and welcome to group therapy. So I'm really excited to learn from the Kristens today, because if you have followed our podcast for any amount of time, you know, there's this like. Kristen versus Dr. J thing going on where Justin and I don't know nearly as much about DBT as the two Kristens. So I'm excited to learn from you all and contribute what I can. Um, But I wanted to kick off the episode by asking, what is DBT? That's a loaded question. DBT is a a lot of things. That's the thing is like DBT is so many things. I think the biggest thing is that DBT is broken down right into four modulars. Mo- I keep saying modulars. I know. We're just letting you say it because it's funny. <laughs> I'm going to say it multiple times. And it's broken down into four sections that kind of come together to create DBT. And that is mindfulness, distress tolerance, interpersonal effectiveness, and emotional regulation. And those are, we could talk for hours upon hours about each of them. So we're just going to dive lightly into those today. But, um, yeah, I mean, just the word dialectic, I know we talk, we've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Um, and I don't think we've ever really defined what a dialectic is. Um, so I'll kind of, I'll kind of define it as I have it right in front of me, but dialectics is the art of practicing at arriving to a truth by considering opposites and differences, combining them and resolving into a logical combination and working towards a process of change by com- by combining opposite forces. It really means that two things can be true at the same time. That that many things can be both and and doesn't have to be either or. And a lot of times we really struggle as humans to sit in both and um, because we want that we want it to be either or, right? We can be happy and sad at the same time. We can be thankful but also worried at the same time. And DBT really talks a lot about make, finding the balance in that and being able to sit in that because not everything is black and white. Um, it's, it's, it's stresses that a lot of times we have to look at those shades of gray. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, dialectic. And that's like, that's really hard when we're experiencing big emotions. You know Mm -hmm, what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. imagine like a time where you were like the most upset or the most angry. It's, it's so hard to hold space for both. But a lot of times we're able to see both. It doesn't mean that we're trying to invalidate ourselves by any means. We're trying to really expand and zoom out so that we can actually ground ourselves and look at things from a viewpoint that's actually going to benefit us. And I think that's the great thing about DBT. I know that some people might think like, oh my gosh, like DBT is like its own thing. And I have to be like a part of the group or whatever. You don't have to be a part of the group to like really know anything about DBT. You just have to like really be interested in it. I think that there are people who go through an entire DBT protocol, which is one thing. Mm -hmm. It involves phone coaching, individual therapy and skills-based group therapy. Um, And you could call your therapist if you need help with skills. You know, it's not really crisis management as much as, much as it is skill acquisition. Um, and then you, you'd be having, I think it's like one individual therapy session a week plus a two-hour group 
of skills a week. That's what we did at the VA. Um, it could yeah. be different depending on the setting. Um, but when you're in DBT, the feeling that I got as a facilitator was like, there's a lot to learn. So a lot of people yeah. think it's like, oh my gosh, like if I don't know everything, then I don't, I can't benefit, but that's not true. It's, it takes a little bit to like learn, you know, all the pillars and like what Kristen was talking mm-hmm. about, what dialectics mean. Um, so I do, I wanted to say that too before we started as well. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot. Like I just to show you guys. So I made my own workbook when I ran a group and this is just the workbook. Mm -hmm. And like, it's a lot of information that I, when I was doing that group, it's like, if you leave group with learning one thing from each Mm -hmm. section, then you're doing good. Like you're doing fine because Mm -hmm. there is so much and learning how to apply everything takes a lot of work. Um, and like I said, like we could spend hours talking about those ins and outs of all the little nuanced pieces. Um, but I think today we're definitely going to touch upon like the big pieces in each of those sections. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As someone not formally trained in DBT, going back to dialectics, that's something I definitely teach a lot of my um, clients because we see a lot of, I know KBI mentioned like black and white, like we see a lot of black and white thinking in so many different mental health disorders Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. black and white thinking a lot of times prevents us from seeing that duality. So like duality rather than dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And you all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I always learned with DBT, one of the core um, dialectics is I'm doing the best I can and I can't do better. Um, And that's something I talk about with my clients, even though once again, I'm not formally trained in DBT because I think that perspective shift and just the emphasis on the word and I don't know about you all, but like even going through grad school, learning about DBT, I had one supervisor that was like very heavily DBT, like just the word and instead of but like has shifted my perspective so much on so many different things. And every time I like say the word, but it's kind of like should, yes. you know, how like all therapists the like shudder at yeah. should. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. if I say, but I'm like, wait, is that an appropriate use of, but in the example, like I give a lot, you know, when I'm doing very basic, like what is DBT to the, the med students or something is if we say like, I love you, but you're annoying. That negates the fact that you can love someone. <laughs> Kaden's like, but no, it's true. Like, how many times have we said that? Like, I love you, but you're annoying but me right now. Bothering me, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but negates the first part of the sentence. But if you can love someone and be annoyed by them at the yeah. same time, like I love you and you are annoying me right now. Because <laughs> me, me and Kaden's friendship, literally, that's us. <laughs> It's us. We're so, we have to hold space for both. <laughs> yeah. But the power of the word and like totally yeah. shifted my perspective on so many things. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I, I think if you really even just think about picking that apart, your love for someone doesn't necessarily go away completely if they're annoying you. Right. I mean, the love is still there. You just can't like really see it. But when you use and it's both can exist. Mm-hmm. And I, I think DBT for me as a past facilitator and just a therapist now who uses the skills with most of my clients, I feel like DBT skills at least help us become a more effective human, like to get our needs met Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. have more, um, 
better functioning within relationships. And it depends on your goals. You know, um, if we think about even just one of the modules, like interpersonal effectiveness skills in there, it kind of talks about what is your actual goal? Is your goal self-respect? Is your goal maintaining the relationship? Or is your goal getting your objective need met? Right. So Mm -hmm. I like DBT because you can look at your own goals and use the skills based on whatever goal you have. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like a cookie cutter. It does feel like that sometimes, but um, it's not necessarily a cookie cutter um, modality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, K10, you just brought up interpersonal effectiveness. And I know KBI, you mentioned like the four, you can Mm -hmm. say modulars, sections, (laughs) pillars, components. We can just have like all the synonyms. Yeah. Isn't modular means it moves? Do you mean modules? Now that I'm saying modular is like a couch, like those modules. Yeah, modular is like a home. Yeah, yeah. Well, Um, I I think it's all. Yeah, I think. Yeah, do you want to dive in? Yeah. So I think what it, the, one of the interesting ways that I love about DBT is the way that it is set up, right? It's set up with these four components and it starts off in mindfulness. Um, and I like to describe it in the following ways, right? Mindfulness is how do I be present in the current moment? That's what it teaches. Mm-hmm. Distress tolerance is how do I put up with shit that is hard? It makes me uncomfortable. Emotional, um, interpersonal effectiveness is how do I get my needs met? without compromising the relationship with that other person. And emotional regulation is how do I manage all of the feelings that come up for me in a given day? Mm-hmm. Um, that is all of them in a basic, simple nutshell. Um, and they tend to go in that order um, mm-hmm. because you tend to use mindfulness in every other ass. And like, it kind of works yeah. its way down. Right. Mm-hmm. I personally like to flip flop emotional regulation and interpersonal effectiveness. I like to do interpersonal effectiveness last. Mm-hmm. Um, I break the rules when I ran group um, because you have to have mindfulness in order to identify re- anything mm-hmm. after it. You have to have distress tolerance in order to manage emotions and manage your relationships with other people. You have to be able to regulate your emotions in order to manage your relationships with other, like it, it's one of those mm-hmm. things that they all kind of work together. So mindfulness is the first one. So um, what is it about mindfulness that in DBT that makes it special? First of all, I love, really love how you describe that, all of that. Um, because I think with mindfulness, think, think about like when you um, are at work and you know your job and you know what you're doing, right? And you're in a really weird emotional headspace. You might not operate the same way that you normally would because you're kind of like really in your mind and you're like thinking about a lot of things and you might feel a sense of like emotional vulnerability. So you might not be really attending to the situation. So the way that you would work under no pressure, just say no emotions, you'd probably get everything done and you'd be able to use all of your work skills. Um, When you're in a headspace where it's hard to access those skills, this is where mindfulness comes into play. And this is why I think it's so important in DBT because to Kristen's point, you can't really use all the skills unless you're here really, you know, like unless you're really involved and I'm not sure about other DBT groups. Um, we did interpersonal effectiveness last Kristen, you flip flop them. I don't know if there's like a right way to do it by any means. I think it might depend. The interpersonal effectiveness is last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with mindfulness, when I look at the, um, I have the protocol pulled up whenever you look at all the four pillars of DBT, there's different modulars and, um, those, the, sorry, I'm never going to let it go. Uh, the, the modules now, I don't even know what I'm saying. The modules, the pillars, whatever they are. Um, the, the first handout has all of the goals. So for mindfulness, the goals are three things, um, reduce suffering and increase happiness. 
which is, mm-hmm. I think, incredible. Um, increase control of your mind um, and experience reality as it is. Like DBT, we say, like, live your life with your eyes wide open, which could be very scary. Um, but that's, I think, one of the reasons why mindfulness is great. Um, I'd love to talk about like a skill for mindfulness from DBT. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, what do we got? We got emotional and wise mind. We got the what skill. Ooh, maybe wise mind. Wise mind. Wise mind is a hard. Wise mind is a hard one. I find so hard. It's so hard. You the the idea between the three states of mind, right? Is that we have three states that our mind can live in: logical, emotional, or wise. And it's imagine three Venn diagrams coming together. Um, or, or two Venn diagrams coming together, emotional and logic, and then the middle is wise. Um, I always describe emotional as like, right, emotional, hot, heavy, intense, right? That's where a lot of our feelings live. Um, I think I describe it as, let me see. It's like when your emotions are in control, they influence your thinking, they influence your behaviors. This this mind can be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. There are times where this is helpful, right? When we're falling in love and when we are purely engaging in something that we're enjoying and all of that. Um, I always like to preface these. I like to relate these to characters. So for my Harry Potter fans, emotional mind is like Ron Weasley. I like how he's always like on edge. He's always, ah, ah, ah. That like is emotional mind. We're always in our feelings. We are always in, in that. Um, what about rational or logical mind, K-10? Yeah. Rational, logical mind, reasonable mind. I think of it like chess or mm-hmm. uh, doing your taxes or anything that feels very like task focused, pragmatic. Like you feel like you're not, I guess like your, your logic is in the driver's seat where your emotions are in the passenger seat. You know what I mean? And, and to your point before, like with an emotion mind, emotion mind is when the emotions are in the driver's seat. And to your point, it doesn't have to be a negative emotion. It could be love, happiness, fulfillment. It could be anything really. Um, but I think when we are in one or the other, sometimes for whatever we're trying to do and whatever our goal is, we just might not be that effective in that moment. So if you're trying to engage with your partner and you're in a task focused oriented headspace, it might be hard to connect in an intimate way, potentially. making this up and vice versa. You know, if you're in a really emotional headspace and you're trying to talk about buying a house with your partner, which I know is an emotional purchase anyway for most people, but or taxes or like whatever, again, you just might not be too effective. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing it right. It just might mean we have to shift focus to wise mind, which is the middle. How would you describe wise mind? Um, Well, I would say for a quick back to rational, if if we're putting it to a character, rational mind is Hermione, right? Mm -hmm. Very book, very focused, right? That is that. And that, and then you come to wise mind and wise mind is the nice combination of all of it. It's the balance, right? And it is the hardest to stay in because it's always the battle of trying to pull us one edge or the other. Um, I always find that emotional tends to pull the hardest, Mm -hmm. especially in uh, those high emotional situations. But the goal is to constantly be in that middle. Um, and mm-hmm. being able to, to pull from each of those sides in order to kind of experience the truth of the situation. Because mm-hmm. both sides can very much cloud what is actually happening in a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's hard. I think it's hard to practice too sometimes, you know, because a lot of people have these high expectations for themselves. Like my clients will say like, oh my gosh, I'm not in wise mind. I must be doing it wrong. I'm like, no, the awareness is you're doing it right because you're aware of it. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. whole point of mindfulness is just becoming more aware. Um, So I think for some people who are struggling to like really figure out what wise mind is and what does it feel like and, you know, all that stuff. I sometimes think of like, who is a person that you look up to that Mm -hmm. um, if you needed help or support, you would reach out to them, right? Most people yep. would, would reach out to Jess. So Jess might be my wise mind for today. If, I, if I'm struggling in like one area, yep. right? Like just say I'm like in emotion mind all day and I can't get out. I might say to myself, what would Jess do? You know, for people who are religious, they might say, oh, what would so-and-so do? What would God do? Th- those little things um, to kind of guide them. And I think the the thing about DBT is the skills are there as a structure, but nothing's ever perfect. I mean, we can't yeah. be mindful 24 seven. Oh, it's absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that they talk about is that mm-hmm. it's not expected that you're in wise mind all the time, because that's not reality. Totally. And there are times where being an emotional mind is, is 100% valid. And I, it's also important to note that being in wise mind is not meant to invalidate mm-hmm. or pretend that you're not experiencing emotion. It's about mm-hmm. experiencing them in a manner that is helpful and is moving forward and that type of stuff. Because sometimes when we're in emotional mind, it becomes overwhelming mm-hmm. and it's driving the bus versus sitting in that middle where it's, it's kind of like logic. You've now shoved logic and emotion in the back seat mm-hmm. and they're yelling and bickering and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you're like, stop it let's talk to each of you and the mom's mom's your mom is wise mind she's in the back she's smacking she's like what are you guys doing back there stop it right and car right around <laughs> i'm gonna turn this car around but but that's really what it is and and mm-hmm. sometimes we pull emotion mind up to ride passenger sometimes we pull logic mind up to ride passenger um but that's probably one of the most common um mindfulness skills for yeah. that mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong on this. When I conceptualize wise mind, I also think of it as like you're responding to the situation rather than reacting or suppressing. So because really you're holding that, it. like exactly like KB, I said, you're you're not ignoring the emotions. You're not like logicking yourself, logicking. That's not a word, but like <laughs> logicking yourself out of way of the situation. <laughs> yeah. But you're also not emotionally reacting mm-hmm. to the situation. So you're acknowledging the emotions and then responding to the situation, holding both the emotion and yeah. what logic and rationale will tell you. Yeah. Words I are love hard the way tonight. I love that. No, I love that because you really think like when you really think about the core tenets of mindfulness, that's what it is, right? It, mm-hmm. It's really just trying to observe non-judgmentally, even though you might have feelings and it's okay to validate those and, um, I think there's a couple of other skills in there, like how, like, cause a lot of people will say like, how do I do mindfulness? Like straight up, like, how do I yeah. do it? I'm a novice. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and with DBT, you could, I think there's three things, observe, describe, participate. I'm literally, I'm literally looking at the how skill, which is non-judgment, one mindfully and effectiveness. And I was looking at that and I was like, that sums up mindfulness in a nutshell. Oh, yeah, because there's how and what skills. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, right, the how skill is like, how do I be mindful? Mm -hmm. And it's not like working on not judging. 
and, and it's not about, and it's not about like not being judgmental all the time and being like this Zen person where nothing gets to you, but it's also catch. It's also about catching yourself when you're kind of tumble weaving. Um, it's not, I think one of the big pieces is not labeling something as good or bad and really just sticking to what the facts are. Um, and then you have like one mindfully and that is doing one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Try mm-hmm. like multitasking doesn't actually exist. It's, it's not a thing because you can't actually multitask without pulling away from other things. Um, so it's all about doing one thing at a time and being in that. And mm-hmm. then then it's effectiveness, right? And the goal of effectiveness is just doing what works. Mm-hmm. What works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I think the, the mindfulness module, just to kind of sum, sum it up, because we have so many others, is like, it really helps you lean in and, and make mindfulness tangible. Because I, I, I think, and I've been practicing mindfulness for like, I think it's like 19 years now, 18 years, like mindfulness and meditation and all that stuff. When I learned about DBT... I know it's based in a lot of those Eastern religions, you know what I mean? And all that stuff. So it's not, we're not reinventing the wheel here with DBT. It's from other things. Um, at least that's my experience and what I thought. Um, but when I was reading how to be mindful, it felt like it was a little more tangible for people who might struggle with the concept of mindfulness. Um, so I find it to be pretty helpful for my clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so then we the have next, distress yeah. tolerance. This one is, this one I think is also hard because this is the idea that we sometimes need to just put up with shit that makes us uncomfortable and we have to learn how to tolerate that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, there's, there's nuance in that, right? We don't, we don't tolerate hate. We don't tolerate abuse, things like that. But there are times where we have to learn to tolerate that discomfort in a situation and instead of reacting and what that, what does that mm-hmm. look like? It's true. I think with distress tolerance too, it's like trying to manage those really, really, really big. I mean, I think in the protocol, it's like crisis situations, like those yeah. big, big, big intolerable. It almost feels like, Oh my gosh, I'm in so much emotional yeah. pain. Um, how do I tolerate all of that? and get through it, but without mm-hmm. making my life worse. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes yes. how we show up in those moments is we're literally an emotion mind and we're struggling and we have the goal and we see the goal, but we're struggling so hard that it's, it almost feels unreachable, you know? So distress mm-hmm. tolerance skills help you really get back into your body when mm-hmm. you're really struggling. And I think part of it is um, accepting reality as well, which a lot of people don't love, you know? And it's like, doesn't mean you agree. Yep. It just means you're accepting, you're ending the war in your mind yep. that it can be any different sort of thing. Um, and I I personally think acceptance and that radical acceptance in the distress tolerance module is the hardest skill in the entirety of DBT. (laughs) It is my favorite skill and I am really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is the hardest because depending where you're at in your healing journey, it can, I think plays into how you see acceptance versus approval. Yeah. And And are you in a place to separate them? That's a good point. That's a really good Mm -hmm. point. And I think, especially like when I think about distress tolerance versus emotion regulation, which we'll talk about 
soon is distress tolerance is typically for things that are highly stressful, that are short term, that it's not really for every day, every single day problems. This is like the wording from the protocol. So just bear with me. Um, it's really for like those intense, intense feelings and the, those intense experiences that almost feel intolerable, you know, and it, they don't happen that often. You know, just say you're going mm-hmm. to a Christmas party with your family it happens once a year and you're really going to be overwhelmed. Like it's really going to be hard. This is where those crisis survival skills will come in handy is what they call yes. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like the, the, one of the main, one of the main pieces of this module is, is basically saying like distress is a part of life. Mm-hmm. We cannot avoid mm-hmm. it. It will always happen. And so we have to learn how to work with it in order mm-hmm. to navigate it. 100%. And I, I think one thing to consider is one thing that I've always been really thinking about with DVT is that there are going to be things in life that are just not okay. When we think about racism, discrimination, yeah. like all these things that it's, it's almost hard to accept those things because I don't want to accept those things, you know, mm-hmm. not many people do. Um, so these distress tolerance skills are really helpful for in those really quick moments where you're like, okay, I'm at work. I need to like make this work for me. I don't want to lose my job sort of thing and then keep it moving. But it's not to say that we have to tolerate all of these things and make it okay. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that these things are okay. I like to tell my clients that too. Like there's some things yeah. in life that are just straight up not okay. <laughs> like, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I remind, and that's that reminder, especially like I find that with this skill, people automatically will apply it to things like their trauma. And they're like, Oh, so mm-hmm. you're saying I have to accept my trauma. And I'll mm-hmm. say in a way, yes, but you have to be in a place where you can separate that from mm-hmm. approval. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that you have to approve that your trauma happened, like approve of it, but we have to accept that it's a part of your storyline and mm-hmm. we cannot go back in time to change it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I use the example, one of the ways that I use to explain radical acceptance is I use rain, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you hate rain, right? Fighting reality Fighting against radical acceptance is like, it's raining. I hate the rain. I wish it would stop raining. This is terrible. It's going to ruin my day. I'm miserable. Fuck mother nature. All of this bullshit. Right? Radical acceptance is, radical acceptance is, I don't like this, but it's raining. And. And oh, it's raining. yes. And it's raining. <laughs> but like, but like, it's, it's, it's I'm that piece of. It's that piece of like, okay, I don't have to like it. Yeah. But I can't fight that it's happening. And that's the, that's the key right there is the more you fight it, the harder it is to be effective. And that's the whole point yes. of DVD is in this moment, how do I be the most effective for my own personal goals to get myself through this? You know, it's yes. not like, like you said, it's not about, you know, Hey, you know, the whole trauma thing and where it came from. It's like, it happened. We can't go back. Like you said, how do I make this work for me in this moment right now? And yes. that's where mindfulness comes in. So a lot of the modules, they'll build on each other, you know, cause it's hard yes. to like be aware of these things. Like in the moment, you just want to be like, fuck all this. <laughs> like, and I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. I'd feel the same way. You know, I really would. Um, but distress tolerance, like one of the skills that comes to mind is the tip skill, the stop mm-hmm. skill, you know, the stop skill is like, just picture a stop sign and we love acronyms in DBT. So it's stop, take a oh step God. back, observe Everything. and then proceed. I think. Yeah. So whenever I'm having a really, really hard time, I'll literally just close my eyes and vision a stop sign. And it just kind of helps me like, 
oh, okay. I got to just like really acknowledge what's happening right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the tips go, right? Temperature, intense exercise, progressive muscle relaxation and, and yeah. pace breathing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that I talk about, and we see it a lot on social media. If you mm-hmm. are, if you have been on mental health, TikTok or social media, you have seen people shove their faces into ice bowls. <laughs> that is the tip skill. There is a yeah. beautiful video on, on YouTube that I show every time where, where a woman gets her heart rate up to, I think it's like 130 beats per minute. She, she raises it. And then she immediately dunks her face into ice water for 30 seconds. She holds her breath and dunks it. And her heart rate plummets to 60 beats because what that does is that activates the dive reflex. There's a, there's a, there's an innate response. And so we use that intense temperature. We can use it by holding ice during panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, putting ice on your face. If some people don't want to actually dunk, I'm not a dunker of, of my face into ice cold water. Um, so I do other ways, um, right. The intensive exercise, mm-hmm. um, progressive muscle relaxation is like the squeezing of the muscles and tight, 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 and letting it go. Mm-hmm. Um, pace breathing five, seven, eight breathing four, four, four breathing. Totally. Yeah. And, and the whole point of the tip skill is, you're experiencing a really big emotion and you need to get back to baseline very quickly, like quickly. very fast. Yes. You have to like really get back in the groove. Like I used to do this at work when I worked in a hospital, you know, like, okay, I might not be able to dunk like Kristen saying my whole face, but I could certainly go to the kitchen and get some ice. You know what I mean? And just kind of do that. Um, yeah. It helps. I just can picture you going into the bathroom and just going, <laughs> you know, one day I didn't wear, like, I'm going to be honest with you. One day I didn't wear makeup. Um, and I did that. I had a bowl and I had ice and stuff because I was having a really tough day. And it was like so much better than the ice cubes. So I we could, I know. you know, I, with my clients, I always tell them like, if you don't have access to that, like it's better to at least try with the ice cubes um, yeah. than not. And for people out there listening, please don't dunk your face for like a long time. It's like supposed to be mm-hmm. 15 to 30 seconds or something like that. Yeah. But. Well, and that's one of the things I tell people, like if you have anxiety about it, do it in portions you don't have Mm -hmm. to go under and hold your breath for 30 seconds you can hold it for 10 seconds for five seconds but as long as you're activating that Mm -hmm. um and then and the tip skill isn't for everybody especially for people with medical conditions especially people with cardiovascular concerns um people who are like taking beta blockers or things like that it's it's really important to talk to your healthcare professional before and if you're a therapist listening like your clients like being mindful their medical conditions is important with the tip skill Mm mm-hmm and same goes with restrictive eating disorders. The I, we don't do. Yes. Oh, we, yeah, we do the. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Just um, good point. Yeah, even if it's just for, you know, a very short period of mm-hmm. time. But I've treated a lot of individuals that, you know, in residential treatment, for example, did more intensive DBT, mm-hmm. and the the I does not necessarily exist if you have a I don't restrictive eating yeah. disorder. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where we go back to effectiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Doing what is going to actually be helpful, doing mm-hmm. what works, you, doing yeah. what's going to be helpful for that for that individual person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another skill that I really love from the stress tolerance is improving the moment. It's an easy one that you could do really anywhere. Um, so for example, if like you're at home and you're just in that really weird headspace or you're experiencing a really big emotion and it's like out of the norm and you don't really know what to do. Um, 
improving the moment, even just like 2%. Because sometimes yes. these skills feel out of reach for people, especially when they're experiencing that level of distress. So how can I make myself feel 2% better? It's not a lot. Not a lot. That might include like turning on some music or getting up and walking around or, you know, just trying to visualize something pleasant. It's not going to fix it, but it's going to help you kind of walk yourself back down to that baseline. Yeah. What do we got? Number three, interpersonal effectiveness. We'll do them backwards. I'm down. <laughs> down. Every, or do every, you, every, or do, every you do, do you do, do you do interpersonal effectiveness last? I do it last because, um, when, Oh, so the, do I. Oh, okay. Wait, because I, I feel like it, I thought you did a third. No, because I think in, no, I do emotional regulation, then interpersonal effectiveness, but I think the book is interpersonal effectiveness and ends with emotional regulation. Interesting. Both of the books I have interpersonal effectiveness is last. Every facilitator is oh, so different too. Interesting. So it might be. So maybe like, I'm wrong. I've just been not so let's believing do it. myself. Emotion regulation. We'll do emotion regulation. Let's start with that That's one. That's what I'm contributing to this discussion. Emotion there regulation. Go. go. Yeah. All right, KBI. What do you think? Oh, or should God. I go over the goals? I could go over the goals. Go over the goals. Let's start I'll there. Go over the goals. What are the goals of emotion regulation? So again, remember distress tolerance for really, 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 really big crisis moments, really big emotions that are like really hard, not everyday emotions. Emotion regulation is to understand and be able to name your emotions. You want to almost become as literate as possible about your own emotional functioning. That's the whole goal of emotion regulation. Um, another goal is to decrease the frequency of unwanted emotions. So... I sometimes have issues with this because unwanted emotions will pop up anyway. So sometimes it's hard to decrease the frequency. So when my clients read that, they're like, I'm never going to get there. And I'm like, that's not the point. The point is just to be aware. Hey, mm -hmm. I'm having this emotion. How do I kind of turn my mind? Whatever. We'll talk about some of the um, skills. But the other two goals are to decrease emotional vulnerability. Um, and again, when people read that, they might not really know what that means. It's to be able to cope with difficult things. It's really all it means, you know, um, and then decrease emotional suffering. So not letting painful emotions overcome you um, and not letting those really painful emotions make things worse for you, depending on your, again, depending on your goals. Mm -hmm. And I, and I like that one of the pieces too, is that you are responsible for your emotions mm. and your responses. That's one of the things that this also talks about is that at the end of the day, you are responsible for whatever reaction you may have. Um, cause I start off when I do this, I start off with a story about raging Steve and how Steve gets cut off in traffic and then proceeds to get upset about it and it starts road raging. Mm. Well, mm -hmm. then Steve gets pulled over and Steve oh, gets God. a ticket. Well, at the end of the day, the guy who cut him off isn't getting pulled over mm -hmm. because what happened was, is now your reaction has caused you to do tailgating and aggressive driving, chasing them down. And so at the end of the day, emotional regulation also teaches us that we have to be responsible for our own reactions as well. Yeah. And, and I think this is hard for, at least this is, this was hard for me when I was learning about it. Cause I, I was always thinking like, yes, I'm responsible for my behavior to a certain extent, but the emotional response that I have, like, what if I can't control that? What if I'm really mm -hmm. pissed that somebody cut me off in traffic? Like, am I not supposed to have that emotion? And I think we talked about it before that emotion is totally valid and we have to hold space Absolutely. for that. But how do we become effective? Like in that moment, Steve yes. could have said, again, this is a perfect world. I come from a place of privilege when I say this. Not everybody has this opportunity. Hey, let me realize what's kind of going on. Do I have the skills 
what can I do? Can I pull over? Can I take some deep breaths? You know, can I do pace breathing? Steve might not have the skills. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but I think that DBT helps us at least with this module again, just become more effective. Cause think about it. Steve got pulled over. His day was probably in the gutter at that point. Like he's like, Oh my gosh, I got cut off. I got a ticket. Like this day sucks, you know, and I would be upset if I was him. And I always think when we kind of go back um, and if we think about the DBT protocol, there's called the behavior chain analysis. Yeah. So what Kristen just described is a really great example of like what happened in the chain and at what point could we intervene in the, in the future? If this were to come up, what chain can we focus on? Maybe it was Steve, you know, yelling at somebody or whatever you said, you know, um, maybe that part of the behavior chain would be the part where we could kind of veer off and do something different. Right. And then the outcome might, might look different. So Anyways, I'm going off on the tangent because there's so much to DBT, but yeah. No, that was really helpful. Yeah. I mean, the skill I think of a lot for emotion regulation is opposite action, <gasps> yeah. which is such a good one. Once again, I feel like a lot of the skills we're listing, we're like, it's a really hard skill and... <laughs> it is. Because it's, it's <laughs> like my favorite or things yeah. um, like that. So opposite action to the current emotion mm -hmm. um obviously correct me if i say anything wrong but i think mm -hmm. of like if your emotions are saying like you need to withdraw and isolate yourself engaging in a behavior that does the opposite of that mm -hmm. maybe reaching out to a friend to talk if you're steve and you want to rage in the car <laughs> i don't know what's the opposite of rage not raging not raging yeah <laughs> peace and harmony no, peace, yeah. peace and love on, peace and love you want to flick them off and you give them a peace side <laughs> yeah I can picture Steve like flipping them off and just like getting in the other lane and like slowing down you know like okay I got it out of my system you know like <laughs> yep. but it is hard because then yeah. going back to what you all said um, before like mindfulness being the first like pillar and building block you have to be present you gotta be really mindful in the moment yeah. being yeah, aware so of so how hard. you're feeling mm -hmm. and then you know even going back to wise mind using that logic and emotion to then be like okay this is how i'm feeling this is what i want to do yeah but i should probably do oh, the opposite really because this is not going to be helpful for like mm -hmm. I, I feel like yeah. opposite action is one of those and a lot of dbt skills like you can say it and it sounds like, oh, this is great. But in actual practice, yeah, it's, it's so much more challenging oh. in the moment. And, it's that's, hard. and that's, oh. and that's the thing about DBT is it, it's a constant practice yeah, mm -hmm. over and over. And because there is so many skills, like I always, when I was talking with clients, I'd be like, let's focus on one skill right now. Or if it's yeah. like a smaller skill, like, then we can focus on two, but let's mm -hmm. keep it like, instead of looking at this whole picture of DBT, we focus on the small scale and get really good at doing one at a time, because even one skill, one skill you learn well is better than five skills you can barely do. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Meaning mastery is the whole point of it. It's like, you never really arrive. You just get progressively yeah. better. And I think with opposite action, it's important too, like for people who are in abusive or neglectful situations too, like this might just look different. So it's always important to look at the skills and make sure they're applicable because I think sometimes acting on the emotion is one thing. Just say you're experiencing love, you know, and 
in that moment, when you check the facts, you might think, okay, I'm in an abusive relationship. And if I act on this love, it's going to kind of put me back into that cycle of abuse, right? Or something like that. So acting on that emotion might not be so helpful and opposite action might be helpful, right? Depends on the person, like depends on the person. Mm -hmm. But I think with opposite action to Jess's point, like it is like so hard in the moment to like be aware of that. And then to be like, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> like, <Yes>. like <laughs> that is really hard. Like that is really, really hard, you know? So I, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I have to give people credit too. like when they're practicing this, a lot of people feel like, Oh my God, I'm just getting beat down. And it's like challenging. And it's like, I know that's the whole point, but it's, <laughs> it feels like demoralizing. It feels it so hard, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, just to just to validate for anybody out there who's been through DBT or your facilitator and and all that, having a lot of patience is really important. I mean, mm-hmm. we're only human, mm-hmm. so. Well, and, yeah, yeah, and it, it's 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 a lot, and it's a lot again that mindfulness piece because even when I look at emotional regulation, one of the one of the pieces in that is is um, the please skill. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is that it brings that's where mindfulness right comes mm-hmm. into emotional regulation and it's making sure that we're treating our physical illnesses. We're balancing our eating. Mm-hmm. We're avoiding drugs and alcohol. We're balancing our sleep. We're getting exercise. We're taking care of ourselves because when we don't take care of ourselves, we are at higher chance of being dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, from the mindfulness, there's the halt skill, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're feeling on edge, ask yourself if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, mm-hmm. probably one of those, you get a little hangry. Um, and so that's one of the things that I also work on with clients is like, just being aware of where you're at for the day, you wake up, and you didn't have a good night's sleep, you may know that you need to cope ahead. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. find that balance, because you might be more on edge than normal. It's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because I think even in the emotion regulation protocol, they have like, good sleep. Um, they have a values and priorities list, you know, like you said, coping ahead, building mastery. And then I, I really think though, like you said, if you're not taking care of yourself, then like who's driving the bus, like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like you, it's, and it's hard for people, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I really like about the emotion regulation, um, manual is that it helps you really understand like what your emotions are doing for you. Cause I think sometimes yes. we think, Oh, we just have an emotion. It's like, okay, that's your body communicating with you. Like your yep. emotions are telling you something. What is it telling you? Cause the anxiety to me might feel different than anxiety to Jess and for Kristen. Right. I mean, anxiety just might feel different for all of us and it might mean different things. It just might. So what is anxiety doing for me? Is it because I didn't check this off my to-do list or is this like, I think something awful might happen. Like, what is it? And then you could kind of really start to gain a lot of, um, again, awareness about what emotions do. And then you know where to go from there. So it's, it all builds on each other, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have the last one. Interpersonal effectiveness, a.k.a. dear man. Oh, dear man. That's like my favorite one. <laughs> like that's the only interpersonal effectiveness skill I could probably name off the top of my head. <laughs> so good. It's so good. And it's, dear man's not the only one. It's it's so good. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, the, again, it's so good. The, again, with the acronyms, though. Like, yeah, please. I think they do. Like when I first did this uh, as a facilitator, I'm like, there are so many acronyms like this is so silly. And now I'm like, thank God there were because I would never remember all this. You know what I mean? So half the time um, I can't even remember what the acronyms stand for anymore. I know. I know what I know what dear man is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Dear man. Um, But some of the goals of interpersonal effectiveness skills, there's three. Um, So being skillful and getting what you want and what you need from others. I know this sounds 
a little sus, but basically I noticed that people who are in DBT groups um, or people who benefit from DBT the most might not be um, good at voicing what they need, you know, and they have to like Mm -hmm. learn, Hey, how do I voice what I need in a way where I could actually get what I need from other people in a way that will be helpful for me where I won't lose my self-respect. It's hard. Um, The other goal is to build relationships and then destructive ones which I think is great. Um, and then walking the middle path. I think this is really hard in relationships and just being mm-hmm. an effective human interpersonally. Like how do I maintain balance and harmony in relationships? It's so hard. Um, so those are the main ones. Let's talk about dear man being like, that's just on everybody's mind. Who knows, who knows what it means? <laughs> oh dear. Let's, let's go. Oh, I can't even hold on. I'm looking. It's been so long. Okay. Describe. Let's go express. I have. I'm I'm cheating. Describe, (laughs) express, assert, reinforce, be mindful, appear confident, negotiate. Ooh. So describe how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Or describe the situation. Express how you're feeling. Yeah. Describe what you what you need. What um, sticking to the facts, leaving Mm -hmm. judgment Mm -hmm. at the door. Um. I think the example I. Yeah. 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 I I think with dear man too, it's, it's interesting. So when I think of interpersonal effectiveness skills, I think each skill has a different goal, right? So dear man is like, I have an objective that I need to meet and I don't care about the relationship as much as I care about this objective. And I don't also care about it as much as my self-respect. I know that sounds wildly inappropriate, but just bear with me. Um, Give, which is another one is to maintain the relationship. So how can I, have a positive relationship. Um, and that is the top priority. Maintaining the relationship is even more important than meeting your objective. Um, and then fast is another one. And that's for maintaining your self-respect. So the relationship is second priority. Your objective is second priority. But the first priority for you in that moment is maintaining your self-respect. It's not to say that any of these three are more important than the other. It's just a matter of choosing the skill that is good for you in that moment. So for example, if you're talking to somebody who you don't know, at all and you're in the grocery store and you're really trying to like just figure out what you need in that moment deer man might be a really good use really quickly like even just the deer part you know um if you're talking to a loved one and you really care about their relationship and you really want to maintain that relationship even more than that objective you might use give um and if you're really focused on maintaining your self-respect and really putting yourself first you might use fast i know that's like a really big thing to talk about but deer man is just one um and i love deer man because for the people who use it they really thrive, like having a script, you know, of like, how do I really get what I need right now? So it's, it's really great. So we had described, then we go into express, right? So it's just expressing our feelings and our opinions clearly describe, like, again, describing what we believe about this situation. We cannot, like one of the big things about the express is like remembering that people cannot read our minds. Mm. We have to express what our needs are. Then we go into assert which is asking for what we want, right? Again, that's the hard part. Not, that's the hard one. It is hard. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, not, we can't always, we can't sit in a situation to believe that everybody will know what our needs are every, every time. Um, and it, again, it keeps coming back to, we can't expect people to read our minds. We have to ask <laughs> for what we need. Um, and then to end out dear is ends with reinforce. So remembering to reward people who respond positively to you, right? So whether that's a thank you, whether that is, um, I always use driving to the airport, right? 
Mm. If someone drives you to the airport, that you're willing to drive them to the airport. There's a reinforce there um, as to like if they've met your needs. Totally. Yeah. Mm. So that's deer. What about man? mm, Man. So man is staying mindful. So when you're in this headspace, you know, and you're really technically you're trying to voice a boundary of some sort or trying to voice what you need. Um, You want to be mindful, you know, focus on your goal. What is the actual goal of this? Because I think sometimes when we're talking to someone and we're really trying to assert ourselves, we might get objections, right? Other people might say, oh, but what about this? Or what about that? It's like, you really want to stay the course. It's really hard. Um, You want to appear confident. Nobody's going to know if you're not confident. You just have to fake it sometimes and then negotiate. So sometimes you might have to negotiate a little bit depending on what it is. Again, this is, we're generalizing Mm -hmm. here. Um, But whenever I put dear man together, it's just such a beautiful thing for people. I love it, it is. It yeah. is. It's so great. So we went over all the pillars, the modulars, as Kristen would say. What are some, and I know that we're talking DBT up, but what are some criticisms? Because there's clearly some, and I think we should be well balanced in it. Mm. Any mm-hmm. thoughts? I have a couple in my mind, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of talk about it not being trauma informed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for that and i can i can see where that comes from yeah absolutely yeah. especially like when you are really really in some of these dbt programs right i actually we got a question about it and i didn't even know that this existed but the 24 hour rule which is like when you is. engage in a harmful behavior or dysregulation that your provider will not respond to you for 24 hours as to not, as to not um, engage in that kind of cyclic behavior. That's a lot of times people experience. And I didn't even know that that was a thing because I've never Mm -hmm. done that intensive protocol. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can understand even after hearing that um, where that is, I can understand why radical acceptance doesn't seem trauma informed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's no formal trauma processing in DBT either. So if you're yeah. experiencing a really big trauma and you haven't talked about it, but you're looking for skills, I mean, at some point you might want to process it. Just say, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody. There's no real place for that in the traditional protocol. Of course, like if you're seeing a therapist and they're, you know, using this as an adjunctive and you're just using the skills on top of trauma processing, great. But the protocol itself doesn't call for that. So I, I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's not as, um, geared for trauma as I think people might think it is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and it, it requires a significant amount of time, like a significant yeah. amount of time. I think that's another criticism of it. Like mm-hmm. if you're doing, the traditional protocol where you have an hour of therapy individual and then you have a two hour group and then you're doing the skills at home and the worksheets. I mean, it's a significant amount of time for people and they may not have the opportunity depending on work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know cost is a barrier for a lot of people Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. well, especially in that traditional protocol. um, If it's not covered by insurance Mm -hmm. um, time, I know a criticism I have heard from my clients that have done DBT, I guess, (laughs) criticism but like since it is so skill based if somebody is not in the space to like be ready to learn all those skills or if the structure is like too structured for them because some people need a lot of structure totally i i love structure you know (laughs) but some (laughs) people (laughs) like more flexibility and Mm -hmm. they maybe 
aren't in a place where they're ready to jump into the skills. So like, I can think of many clients that I'm like, DBT would be really helpful for you, but they are not yet in a place where they can learn, understand, apply, practice skills. It's a really good point. True, true DBT is not a processing approach. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's the hard and, part. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. Because when you're and in the like, skills group too, it's like people want to talk about their stuff. I could I I saw it as a facilitator and I'm like, oh, I want to give you that space. And it's also a skills group, you know? It's it's yeah. a really hard place to be. It is. And that's and that's really hard because then you're like, no, it, I've done that in group where I'm like, hey guys, we we're not talking about that here. And it's a hard thing to navigate mm-hmm. because then you're now shutting down that person. And in, unless you're a facilitator who constantly, like as a facilitator, I constantly revisited boundaries and expectations like every three weeks Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that when I did have to shut something down, it wasn't, it wasn't like something that was like, Oh my God, I took like what it was like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, but it does. And like, you can definitely incorporate DBT into traditional like talk therapy in that way. Um, as far as like different skills, but Mm -hmm. that is the hardest part about a true DBT approach does not really it it does not have that processing piece in it Mm -hmm. no and and i think first i i would i was hearing some clinicians talk it's like um like a precursor to trauma treatment or it's in lieu of trauma treatment i'm I'm messing their words up um because i was just googling basically like some myths and stuff and it it isn't a replacement for trauma processing Mm -hmm. it's just not um in my opinion it's just not and I think another thing, another criticism is not everybody's going to want homework. Not everybody's going to want to do like worksheets in between. And it's not for everybody. Not to say it's like good or bad. I mean, some clients love it. Some people hate it. Um, And there's like a attendance policy too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so we want to hold people accountable. But I also think it could be hard because people have kids, they have schedules, they got a lot going on. You know what I mean? So it might be hard to make every single group. And it's like, oh my gosh, if I can't make every group or, you know, after two, you're out or whatever. Um, that's mm-hmm. hard. I know every group is different. You know, at the VA, it was one way when I worked at another place, it was the other, but um, it is really structured. So, yeah. yeah. The only last thing I was thinking, because I feel like a lot of people know DBT with borderline personality disorder, but yeah. what are some other like types of people or presenting problems that you have seen DBT be effective with? Mm. Anxiety comes I, to mind. Yeah. Kristen, what were you going to say? De- a depression. Mm-hmm. Um, that t- I mean, the reality is, is DBT can be applied in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that it should be the sole focus, mm-hmm. that is a, that's, the, that's the conversation. That's the separator. Like, I think DBT can be helpful with trauma, mm-hmm. not in the processing, mm-hmm. but in the in the flashbacks, the distress tolerance, the emotional regulation aspect, absolutely. But when it comes to the processing, no. Um, I think that it can be helpful in so many ways um, for for a very large chunk of disorders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that like you can't talk about the origin of these things with your individual therapist. If you're in DBT, you can. But a lot of times they'll pull out a behavior chain analysis or a diary card and like where was it in the diary card let's kind of go it's just very the process of it is just different you know of like yeah. hey, this big thing happened this weekend mm-hmm. let's talk about it 
it sounds different or the experience is different if you were to talk to a CBT therapist versus DBT versus like an eclectic, you know, person. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I mean, as somebody that works with teenagers and like, I don't say this flippantly, I truly believe every teenager could benefit from DBT skills. Because if we just think of like from a developmental perspective, Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be like a presenting psychiatric disorder. Okay. Everybody, every human could benefit from mindfulness. I like truly believe that. But okay, if we're thinking about distress tolerance, if that's supposed to help you cope with intense emotions, adolescence is a time <laughs> where we are experiencing hormonal changes, a lot intense emotions, emotion yeah. regulation, helping them understand and identify their emotions. I mean, all humans need these skills, but like, you know, adolescence, you're experiencing a bunch of um emotions and it would be helpful to learn and understand and then interpersonal effectiveness like i know this is not like the friendship episode but how many of us sitting here can look back on like middle school high school years and like think of those relationships whether romantic or platonic and they were up and down or you know, we yeah. didn't know how to assert ourselves effectively, things oh like God, that. Yes. And so, yeah, even though I'm not formally DBT trained, I do know some of the skills and I'll teach a lot of my teens that just as like life skills. Yeah. I love that you brought up. I, I love you brought that you brought that up because I even think like at that time, like if we kind of bring ourselves back to like middle school or high school, even high school, I mean, it's such a tumultuous time. My gosh, like there's so much oh happening, God, so you know, yeah, it's terrible. So it's like if if you not all terrible, but like the emotions that you feel like you're trying to like learn about your emotions and your body and your mind and all these things. It's like a lot. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Um, I even think uh, to go back to Jess's question, it, it's worked for a lot of my clients who engage in self-harm, a mm-hmm. lot of self-harm. Um, it yeah, really helps absolutely. really kind of identify like I think there's part of the protocol like and self-harm doesn't always mean suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. It could just it, it doesn't have to be connected all the time. But for some people where it is, we come up with like a life worth living goal. And I think it's helpful to have that structure yeah. for people. Not everybody though. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, no. And there are just so many ways it can be pulled into, into life. And, you know, which I'm, we haven't even mentioned her name, but oh, DBT Marcia. was created by Marsha Linehan. Good old uh, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But like, obviously, like, like, you know, Marsha created DBT for borderline personality, mm-hmm, but just mm-hmm. like many things, we have found it to be successful working in other ways as well, which has been really nice because I mean, I don't have borderline personality disorder, but I use DBT every day of my life mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I found that that is, that is a skill that works for me and that those yeah. are skills that work for me for sure. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm happy you brought up Marsha. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. We totally, um, we totally just totally forgot Paul. about her. We've been, we've been Shout talking out. for almost an hour and we never yeah. even mentioned the name of the creator of DBT. We were like, I no, know. let's just dive in. Sorry, Marsha. Marsha yeah. Linehan in the 1980s. There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> there we go. There it is. There it is. Um, but there yeah, I've only used DBT, like the traditional protocol, like, you know, with the skills group and individual and the phone coaching for people with borderline personality disorder. And, I've seen them thrive after DBT and I've also seen people not take to it. So I think it's important. It's not just because somebody has borderline doesn't mean DBT is like always going to work every time. That's another thing to consider too. Yeah. But know what does work every time. (sighs) Yes. 
she did it. Scholar shorts. I know. I was like waiting for a transition. I was like, okay, which one? So I, I asked that question to kind of set us up for the topic of the Google Scholar shorts. So the question I'm going to post to you is actually very specific based on this research study. Um, how effective do you think DBT is in the treatment of bipolar disorder compared to standard of care? So standard of care could be, you know, cognitive therapy, family therapy, mm-hmm psychodynamic behavioral therapy. So DBT compared to other types of therapy for bipolar disorder. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's more effective than the others. Okay. I'm just taking a guess. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So this study was done on 100 adolescents with bipolar spectrum disorders, and they were randomly assigned to one year of either DBT or standard of care. So with DBT, they got 36 sessions. Standard of care was the schedule was clinically determined based on the type of treatment. Both groups were also on medication. Um, So overall, those assigned to the DBT group on average attended more sessions in that year. So 23.8 sessions compared to only 13.1 for standard of care. Um, Although at intake, on average, DBT and standard of care participants reported similar suicide attempt rates, DBT participants reported significantly fewer suicide attempts over follow-up compared to standard of care psychotherapy um, participants. Mm. Both treatment groups uh, demonstrated significant improvement in mood states and symptoms over time. So we saw similar um, results there. And then DBT participants demonstrated greater reductions in difficulties with emotion regulation over time compared to standard of care participants. And among those with higher baseline difficulties with emotion regulation, those who received DBT were less likely to have higher difficulties with emotion regulation scores over follow-up. So overall, to kind of summarize, with DBT, less suicide attempts, better emotion regulation, although mood improved in both groups over time. That is, that's kind of badass. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Because I, I do think it's like popularized, not popularized, but it's known for people with borderline. So I think some people might think like, oh, DBT won't work for me or something. So this is really good to know. Yeah, I was interested because I think of, and honestly, this is my own bias because I know therapy can definitely help Mm-hmm. bipolar disorder but i always think of like medication as yeah first line of yeah. treatment which mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure it actually is um but the fact that you know we saw these reductions and specific you know suicide attempts which makes sense we didn't dive into it as much but as k10 highlighted like dbt really helps with self-harm suicidality i know marshall linehan um when she first developed DBT, part of that came out of the fact that she felt like CBT did not address the suicidality, self-harm component mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. I love it. You know what else is interesting? Them polls, The baby. polls. So, Justin did the polls, and he's, he's not here. Us. He's <clears throat> in New York. I can't do a New York accent. He's in New York. Really he's getting some pizza. Yeah. So he's not here with us. So I will read the polls. Justin always makes the funniest faces. Anyways, first question. What does the D in DBT stand for? (laughs) 
Diabolical. Our members are so much smarter. Duality. (laughs) Dialectical. And dubious. 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 Did they get it right? Did they get it right? Yes, they got it right. 92% said dialectical. I love our 92%ers. He's just giving them freebies. Like, come on. Have you ever worked with a DBT therapist or been in a DBT group? Yes. Nope. I'm not sure. I'm going to say say I'm not sure. Okay. Is the highest. And and K10, you said nope. Yeah. K10 was correct. Nope was 55%, followed by yes at 34, followed oh, by I'm not sure at 10. Yep. Interesting. Wow. Which is one wow. of the four pillars of wow. DBT? Thought stopping, emotion regulation, inner child work, bilateral stimulation. Emotion regulation. Oh, which one? I thought it was, my brain was like, which one isn't? I'm like, all of them are not except for one. What are you talking about? <laughs> Our our group members got it with emotion regulation. Cool. Okay. Solid. The creator of DBT, Marsha Linehan. See, see, we mentioned it on Sunday. Justin was prepping because he knew we'd forget. Has been open about having which disorder? Avoidant personality disorder, PTSD, histrionic personality disorder, or borderline personality disorder? Borderline. Correct. And our group members got that. So those were... The polls. I remember Justin was like so nervous about doing the polls. Justin, you did a great job. Yeah, he's like, I'm listening. Uh, you know what else people do a good job at? We need better transitions, like straight up. <laughs> Asking group member questions. I love it. Let's so we got it. a good, we got a bunch. And so let's dive right in. So Allison from North Carolina, not the state that Jess lives in. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Does DBT help people feel better or just behave better? Ooh. And I thought that that was interesting because my first reaction was both. But the idea of this, this idea of behaving better. Yeah. Has a negative connotation to it when with like that has a stigma to it when you think about it. When the reality is, is Yes, when we cope, we tend to act in ways that better serve us mm. and serve that situation. Yeah. That question has me thinking, though, because I think like when I think of the purpose of DBT, it's to make life easier for you, make it more effective for you as a human. Mm-hmm. But then I'm thinking like as by proxy, like it kind of makes it better for your relationship. You know what I mean? Like the other people that are in your life, maybe, but is it only because you're showing up differently or is it because I, you know what I mean? So I I could see where that person maybe got that from. Um, I'm aligning with you KBI on it because I think that like the behavior might follow. And sometimes when I think of behavioral Mm -hmm. activation for depression, like we're doing things and we're acting in ways and doing things that we might not want to do that we know are good for us. And I feel like DBT is very similar like opposite yeah. action. Like I want to lean into this, but I know I can't, you know? Um, so I kind of think that I go that route. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think like you said, like when we start changing our behaviors, we start, right. We start feeling better. So when we're start, when we're able to regulate our emotions, we start to feel some semblance of stability. So we start to feel better because maybe we're not feeling such a chaos of emotions or intense zero to 60 reactions. Um, 
and can that constitute then moving into better behavior and better and feeling better? Absolutely. I think that that just behave better comes with a negative connotation to it when the reality is, is our behaviors are going to change when we begin mm-hmm. to learn new skills. Uh, Tatiana from Florida um, says, do therapists usually disclose the method they're using? I feel like I've always been to therapy, but how do I know what method my therapist is using? Does it just have to be one method or can they mix and match according to how the sessions are going? So even like with DBT, um, obviously, you know, we talked about when you're doing a solid DBT protocol, you know, you're doing DBT, mm-hmm. but K10, I know me and you have talked and Jess, you have said like, sometimes you dabble it in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so to the first part of the question, do they have to disclose? Do they always disclose? I can't remember how she said it. Like, no, I don't think every therapist disclosed. If you want to know what your therapist is doing, ask. Um, As a client, it's your right to know. For me personally, like I will, when I have like an intake and we're talking about kind of past experiences with therapy, if they've had them, what's helpful, what's not helpful, I will usually say I come from a cognitive behavioral framework. And what that means, I typically pull from CBT, ACT, some DBT skills, because as much as, and this could be a whole discussion, but a lot of people are like, DBT versus CBT, like DBT is technically a third wave CBT treatment. Um, But what I do personally is if I am teaching a skill or a technique, I'll say like, so in CBT, in DBT, in ACT, this is called whatever. So they know like, you know, so if I was introducing opposite action, I'd be like, so there's a skill in dialectical behavioral therapy called opposite action and then go into what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm eclectic in my approach, but I, if I am definitely utilize for me personally, utilizing a specific skill from a specific psychotherapy modality, I will say what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 A lot of times like I'll, I'll mention like, Oh, I know this skill from whatever. And then I'll mention it. Um, Sometimes I, sometimes I don't just depends on the client. You know, if we're just doing act or just doing DBT, then it's like part of it. But I've seen a lot of, and we talked a little bit about this, but I've seen a lot of criticism on DBT not being trauma. Oh, this is Shauna from Canada. Sorry, Shauna. Um, (laughs) I've seen a lot of criticism on DBT of not being trauma informed. What's your thoughts on how to make DBT more trauma informed? My DBT therapist uses a lot of validation and checking the facts. Well, checking the facts is a DBT skill, right? Yeah. Am I making that mm-hmm. up? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, as, go ahead, Jess. Go ahead. I was just going to say, as somebody that doesn't do DBT, I think this is where merging it with, I know you all joked what la- our last episode about like cognitive processing DBT or like EMDR DBT, um, right. like a willingness to pull from other evidence-based treatments of trauma-informed um, modalities or exactly like KBI and K10, you were saying earlier, DBT is very skill-based and not as much processing. So being flexible in the protocol and allowing time and space for that trauma processing and not yeah. necessarily just skill, 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 skill. Mm-hmm. But you all might have different thoughts as people that do DBT more frequently than I do. No, that's totally on point. 
totally on point. I think for me with clients who I know are coming in where they have a big thing to process trauma wise and they might have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and I know DBT would be great for them. I actually adjust how I operate. It depends on the client, of course, but we might actually process trauma before we ever get to the major skills. Like we really have to kind of really know what we're working with and, and all that. And then it's actually helpful because it's helpful for the client and for the therapist, I think, in that when you process the trauma a little bit, if you have the opportunity to do so, because then when things pop up, you kind of know where they come from, you know, and then you're more informed, the client's more informed. It's just a more well-rounded treatment, in my opinion. Um, But it's not for everybody. There are people out there who have maybe processed their trauma already. Maybe they did cognitive processing therapy already, you know, and they just kind of want to like let their new therapist know like, hey, this is what I did. So I do take an eclectic approach now. When I worked at the hospital, we had to do just the traditional DBT protocol. And I did know that there was a lot of like, for me as a facilitator, I'm like, oh, I want to process that with that client. You know, I mm-hmm. always felt that pull, um, but the skills were the only thing I was able to do. So, yeah. All right. Taylor from Massachusetts. How do you respond when clients feel like DBT is dismissive and doesn't get to the root of the problem? I think I personally, when I read that, I think that goes back to, again, like what is the root? Is the root Mm -hmm. unprocessed trauma or unprocessed situational things that DBT is not built to address? Because Mm -hmm. I can understand where DBT may feel dismissive in that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it can be dismissive. I just want to highlight oh, that. Absolutely. Like if somebody, if somebody, yeah, if somebody's coming in and just say they have all this trauma and then just say they're offered DBT and they're thinking like, okay, I'm going to get better. They might not be what they're hoping for. And I think that's yep. pretty valid, you know? Um, but I, I think when we think about choosing treatments and effective modalities, that's why it's so important to really assess your client, you know, and really assess what they need. Um, because for someone who really needs to process their trauma, this, this might feel dismissive for them. And it might not, mm-hmm. depending on who you are. Might, mm-hmm. Maybe you just want the skills and it's easier that way for you. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to validate Taylor as well, because when I was looking up like criticism of DBT, that was one that came up, like how it mm-hmm. doesn't always, it, it focuses a lot on symptom relief and skills, but not necessarily the underlying causes and contributors to the emotional difficulties. So, I mean, as somebody that doesn't primarily do DBT, if a client was like, I feel like this is dismissive, I would want to listen and hear their perspective and what aspects of it do you feel are dismissive? And then can you incorporate other evidence-based interventions that may address what they feel is being dismissed by DBT? Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Okay. Kelsey from Texas and Renee from Perth, Australia have similar questions. So Kelsey says, it's been a year since IOP. DBT is what's up? A whole new set of life is a whole, a whole new set of life. The handbook is the Bible. That's the, <laughs> I notice that a lot of people. Uh, I'm like, ma'am, I love it. Um, this is so exciting. <laughs> I know. I noticed that a lot of people were in treatment for a refresher that it takes a lot of personal resources that not everybody has. Tips on mm-hmm. keeping the handbook accessible or reminding yourself to go through it. Honestly, unless you're a trained therapist, good luck remembering it all. Yeah. Which is true. Like, unless you're no. in, like... Yeah. Like... Great points. Yeah. So really what, great are, points. What, are, what are some ways that people can, like, remind? 
themselves you know, with the skills and stuff. Of the skills. I'm just making or sure. Or like I'm just to go back and like refreshing themselves because if you mm-hmm. have the book or you have, you know, the con like if you leave treatment with a big old binder full of stuff, how do you get yourself to kind of refresh while you're there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just want to validate too, it is a lot. It's a lot. Yes. You know, whenever we did the traditional po- protocol, it was six months and we actually suggested people just do it for a year, which is a huge time commitment. Think about a whole year of doing the same class with the same therapist. I mean, it's a lot, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that six months is great to get to know what's going on. And then the second six months is like, okay, I know what your man is. Now I know how yeah. to like apply it or something. But in terms of keeping it fresh, I think it really depends on your practice. So if you go back to mindfulness and that was something that you really enjoyed, it could be checking in with yourself once a week. You know, what skills could I have used this week? What skills do I want to use? Um, I remember when I was a facilitator, I would try to check in with myself every Sunday night. Like yep. hey, if I look back on all the things that have happened this week, are there any skills I could have used differently? Mm-hmm. You know, could I have used any skills or I don't know what skill I would have used. Can I go through the handbook? So I think setting reminders in your phone, um, if you want it to be an intentional practice, if yep. not, maybe going through the protocol or the handbook and really just pulling out the ones that you find effective for you, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. and just kind of keeping those so you don't get so overwhelmed. Yeah. And one of the things I tell my clients is because this is skills based, utilize things like YouTube. When I tell you there are hundreds of amazing videos out there that break down all of these skills that like, if you're going through your book and you're like, wait, I'm not quite understanding non-judgment or wait, dear, like dear man, isn't quite making sense anymore. There are so many videos out there that will explain that because it is skills based and not like intervention based. Um, Mm -hmm. in that way. And that's what I love about it too. So even like if you casually like create a playlist for you to come back, um, Mm -hmm. it can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. One thing I encourage pretty much all my clients to do is if they have like certain coping skills. And so for this, applying it to DBT, TBT skills that they know work for them, making something like that has the skills listed out, mm-hmm. posting it somewhere, whether it's like on their mirror, on the back of their door, on the fridge as like an external reminder where they will see it. Because especially if, you know, we're emotionally dysregulated, we're in, you know, a state of distress, it's hard to reach for those skills. So sometimes having a visual reminder or even like I've had clients like keep a little card in their pocket or in their purse and yeah. stuff. Now you have to remember it's there, but that can also serve as a reminder because maybe, you know, you're cleaning out your purse and you find it and you're like, Oh, let me go back to the manual to revisit some of those skills. Yeah. And then Renee kind of asked us something in the line with that. Do you believe it's worth doing the DBT DBT course again, five years later, if you are still struggling to implement techniques or should, or should you try something else? Hmm. I think it depends on your goals. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And if you liked it and found it and helpful if you liked it. the first time. Yeah. Yep. You have the ability. I mean, when I ran my skills group, when I did that for three years, there were people who took the skills group over and over and basically were mm-hmm. rolling members in the yeah. skills yeah. group um, because that's what worked for them. Yeah. DBT does not work for everybody. You know, no. I mean, just like any, inter- just like any, you know, evidence-based therapy. I mean, I think it's so important to really, really, really find something that works for you and your unique issues and all that. Because while I love DBT for the skills, I also know that the traditional protocol for me, like all the clients I have, like I 
probably couldn't do that with them. But mm-hmm. I have access to it because we just do the skills and stuff like that. Because um, like Jess was saying, it's expensive and there's like a lot of barriers and stuff. But um, I think it really is just what works for you, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't know much about this one. It's um, where did it go? I lost it. Um, I do know one of our friends is trained in this, but Savannah from California says, can you briefly touch on RODBT and what that actually looks like in practice? My therapist keeps telling me I'd benefit from it and I have a general understanding of what it is, but I'd love to hear a little bit more. I am not trained in RODBT, um, which is radically opened dialectical Mm -hmm. behavioral therapy. Um, I actually only probably learned about that within the last year and a half um, from our, from our wonderful friend, Lauren Ruth Martin. Mm -hmm. Um, What is her username? I can't remember. Um, Lauren Ruth Martin. And then she also has nine to kind. We can link her um, and not to plug my own podcast, but I'm literally going to do it. Um, I don't remember what episode it was, but she came on my podcast, Psych Talk, and did a whole episode on RODBT. Um, but my brief understanding, and that was a while ago, so I don't remember all the details, is really it's a transdiagnostic treatment that really focuses on disorders of overcontrol. So the where I have seen it most often used is with like OCD or restrictive eating disorders such as anorexia. So when we think of like disorders of over-control, um, we think of like social isolation, loneliness, poor interpersonal functioning, um, difficult like to treat mental health concerns. And with RODBT, there's five themes, I believe, um, so inhibited and disingenuous emotional expression, hyper detailed focus and overly cautious behavior, rigid and rule governed behavior, aloof and distant style of relating and high social comparison and envy slash bitterness. Um, as for what it looks like in practice, I don't feel like I can really speak to that. Mm-hmm. I do know it's about 30 sessions And it's similar to DBT where you have like the individual therapy session as well as like the skills training. Um, But I can make sure to link Lauren's account Um, because, yeah, before her, I had never heard of Radically Open DBT. And as I shared with you all earlier today when we were texting, at least in the eating disorder world, in residential settings, it is becoming more popular um, because my understanding is DBT is usually traditional DBT is more helpful for um, disorders of under control. So yeah, it's like what we think of like classic borderline personality disorder. So I don't know well, if that answered your question. Definitely <laughs> link your episode too, because I think yeah. that that like for anybody who Incredible. wants to continue even that, that conversation outside of that, I think that that is good because I, I don't even know much about it other than hearing about it from when I saw her post and being like, what mm-hmm. is this? Um, yeah, I've never heard of it. I'm definitely going to listen to that. App. It's cool. All right, y'all. Time today has come to an end, unfortunately. The time goes by so fast. Um, so we talked all about DBT today. As you can tell, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to say. Yeah. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to learn. Um, and by any means, like this is not an all-encompassing like deep dive into dbt we literally 
just scratched the surface today. So if we're missing anything or things didn't seem clear or anything like that, just let us know. And we could comment on Instagram, like if there's any resources and stuff that you might want. Um, but overall, really glad that you guys were here and grateful for your questions. So remember to rate, like, and subscribe and send this to the group chat um, for anybody who wants to learn more about DBT. And we will see, see you next week in group therapy. Bye. Bye. Guys. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Jess, that was so low. It was so low. Jess is like a baritone, like, oh my God.